a man was walking along a California beach and was in deep prayer to the Lord, and he said, Lord, you've promised to give me the desires of my heart. Please give me a confirmation that you will grant my wish. Suddenly the sky overhead darkened, and the Lord in a booming voice said, I have searched your heart and determined to be pure. I think I can trust that you will not disappoint me because you've been faithful to me. I will grant you just one wish. The man said, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. He says, but I'm deathly afraid of flying, and I get very seasick in boats. He said, could you build a bridge to Hawaii so I could drive there whenever I want? The Lord laughed and said, that's impossible. Think of the logistics. How would the supports ever reach the bottom of the Pacific? Think of the concrete and the steel that we would have to employ to use such a thing. Your request is materialistic, and frankly, I'm very disappointed that you would ask for something like that. I could do it, but I just couldn't justify it. So I'm going to give you a little bit more time, and you think of a wish that would be honoring to me. So the man thought about it for a little while, and he said, you know what? I've been married four times. My wives have always said I was insensitive to their needs. I wish I could understand women. I want to know how they feel and what they're thinking. I want to know why they cry when they do and how to make them truly happy. That's all that I wish, Lord. The Lord thought about it for a second. He said, do you want two lanes or four on that bridge? You know, we, sometimes as men, we just get a bad rap of being insensitive. Let me I'll just share another story with you that I heard. The room was full of pregnant women, and their husbands were with them, and their Lamaze class was in full swing. The instructor was teaching the women how to breathe properly, along with informing the men how to give the necessary assurances that they should give at that stage of the plan. The teacher then announced, ladies, exercise is good for you. Walking is especially beneficial. And gentlemen, it wouldn't hurt you to take a little bit of time and go walking with your wife. There was silence in the room. Finally, a guy in the back of the room raised his hand and he said this. The teacher said, what is it? He said, uh, would it be okay if she carries a golf bag while we walk? <laughs> uh, you know, see, we, we try, we try to be sensitive. We, we, we give it a good shot. Last one. There's 11 people hanging onto a rope that came down from a helicopter. Ten were men and one was a woman. There's a predicament. They all decided one person should get off because if not, the rope would break and everyone would die. But they couldn't decide who should get off. So finally the woman gave a very moving and touching speech about how she would give up her life to save the others because women were used to giving up things to their husbands and children and those around to meet the need that came up at that time. And the men were so moved with compassion that they all began to applaud. <laughs> so there you go. So, on a, a somewhat more serious note, um, to all the moms and the grandmas and the great-grandmas that are here today uh, who have given of yourself sacrificially, uh, on behalf of all men, and I'm sure that you're in hearty approval with this man when I say without you, we would be nothing. And, uh, I mean, frankly speaking, I couldn't even get dressed without Linda. Uh, I've tried, but, <laughs> but it doesn't work. You're not wearing that today, are you? You're not wearing your baseball chapel shirt today, are you? Uh, no, I was just, it looked lonely. I thought I'd put it on and just walk around a little bit with it. What is it that I'm wearing today? So here it is. But uh, seriously, thank you, thank you very much for all that you do for us, uh, for all the support that you give us, for being the helpmates that God in, in, intended for us to be for one another. 
and we don't take that lightly, and, and we like to have some fun, but on a serious note, thank you very much for being who you are and what you do. Now, moving on to where I know I won't get into any trouble, and if I do, it doesn't matter because I'm standing on a lot more solid ground. <laughs> we are going through Paul's uh, letter to the Romans, and so far, uh, we've learned that God has declared that all mankind is guilty before God. He's laid out a very clear and convincing case that all of us have violated God's laws or standard to one degree or another. Uh, the list of his charges are extensive and exhaustive, and they included, if you recall, as we went through chapter 1, that man is guilty because we've suppressed the truth of God. You know, whether we believe it or not, God reveals to us that this book that we hold and that we have and we study is the very word of God in written form. It is the word of God. It's his instruction to all of mankind. All of his plans are laid out here, and yet man has chosen to deny that truth, the very truth of the word of God, and turn and walk from that. And because of that one act, if that act alone, we are guilty before God of rejecting God's truth. Not only has he given it to us in written form where we've got access to it, but he's also placed in the heart of every human being created a conscience that has been given to us by God. A conscience that helps us to understand the difference between right and wrong. And every one of us at one point or another in our life, even though we've known the right thing to do because of the conscience that was given to us by God, we have deliberately chosen to do that which was in opposition or do that which was wrong. God says this is right or this is wrong, don't do what's wrong, do what's right. And in our heart as rebellious humans we say, but you know what God, I want to do it my way. Even though you clearly reveal what's right or wrong, I'm still going to do it the way that I want to do it. Another guilty indictment is, is issued to all of mankind because of that. We've ignored his revelation. The Bible says that God reveals himself in, in the heavens, in the creation. All of he the heavens declare the handiwork of God. As you look around us, you realize that everything is here, is here for a purpose. It has order. It has structure. It is not a, a product of chaos that somehow has now, now produced order. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it doesn't get any simpler to understand than that. But what has man chosen to do? We don't want to believe that. We don't want to believe that God created the heavens and the earth. We don't want to believe that God created us because if God created us, there's a sense where he also owns us and we are his possessions and therefore we are accountable to him. We don't want to answer to God, so what do we do? We come up with stupid theories of how everything came to be. We come up with things like a lot of dirt just banged together one day and here's everything. And I just laugh at, at, at the foolishness of that because I've never seen an automobile produced by a bunch of metal blown on the freeway hitting into each other and producing a nice sleek Ferrari. I just haven't seen it yet, and we will never see that because the, the Bible specifically says God created the heavens and the earth, that God created mankind in his image and his likeness. And as many great things as humanity can do, we cannot duplicate life. And the reality is this, that man has chosen to ignore the very clear revelation that there's a creator, that there's order in the universe, that the earth is different than everything else that we see in the, in the solar system, and, and the earth is uniquely prepared to inhabit us and, give a, and produce where we can live and enjoy life, but we search and we search and we search for what? For the meaning of life? For the origin of life? For what life is all about? And God says, hey, it's right here. But you've already turned your back on the clearly revealed truth that's in God's word. So why not also ignore his revelation? And because of that, mankind is guilty before God. And we know that we're guilty because our behavior indicates that we're guilty. 
We do those things that God says we shouldn't do. They're very clearly laid out for us, but we turn our back on them. The Bible says that the first great command was we love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, you can't do that if you ignore his existence. You can't put him first in your life if you don't believe that he even exists or that we're accountable to him. The Bible says you honor your mother and father. We don't do those things. I mean, you know, I know, I know as a kid, I never, I mean, I did sometimes, but I very rarely did. I mean, and you ask the questions, and sometimes later in life, and, and every one of us as children, you know, we got that thing where later in life we begin to confess the things that we did when we were kids, you know, just sitting around having a good time joking about, you know, there was one time that, I, you know, you probably never heard this before, but I'd really like to get it off my chest now. Guilty. You're still guilty. Just because the immediate consequences aren't there, you still did it and you're still guilty. I mean, the Bible goes on. Don't cover your neighbor's goods. Don't want what other people have. Don't want, you know, something, something that somebody else has that you want. And on and on it goes. And every one of us know that we're guilty before God. Now, the reality of that guilt is this. That as we went through Romans, the Bible says, because all are guilty, all are guilty, none are righteous, no, not one, all have gone astray, all have turned their back on God. That includes you, includes me, includes all of us. The question you've got to ask yourself is, because we're guilty before God, that means what? That we will pay a price for our rebellion. No different than if you're guilty before the law and you break the law, there's a price to be paid for violating the law. There's a sentence that must be demanded or executed to offset that violation of the law. And because that is equally true, and you've got to stop and think about something for a moment, where do we come up with that idea? Hey, it comes from God. Where do we even come up with laws that regulate society? They come from God. The Code of Hammurabi, which is something that the foundation of most civilizations is based on, came from Scripture. The bottom line is some things are right and some things are wrong. When we violate those things that are wrong, we pay a price. And God says, hey, look, because you violated those things and did that which was wrong, you will pay a price. And the price is this. And no one likes to hear it, and not many people are saying it, but here's the reality of it. The price is this. Eternal separation from God. That's the sentence. The Bible calls it a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of outer darkness, a place of torment and torture for all of eternity to be the sentence in which God imposes upon all who have gone astray and turned their back on God. In simple terms, we call it hell. In reality, it's called the lake of fire in the book of Revelation. For those who have gone astray we will go to hell at the end of this life on earth. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me ask the question, what do I got to do so I don't end up in hell? If that's the truth, and I'm on my way to hell, I don't want to go there. And all the jokes about hell, well, at least my friends will be there, and we'll be hunting and fishing and drinking beer, and we'll listen to the country western, and I know some of you are thinking, that is hell. <laughs> But the reality of it is, the Bible clearly teaches it ain't a place where we're going to hang out together. It's not a place where we're going to have fun. The Bible says it's a place of eternal damnation and torture. If you've ever gone into a prison, and you've gone to solitary confinement, then you know what a place, you know what kind of place hell could be. And it isn't even close to the description that God gives us in his word. Because even in solitary confinement, God can reach a heart. But he can't in hell because there's no second chances. Now, I don't know about you, but it causes fear in my heart to want to make sure that I don't end up there. And out of love for you and a concern for you, I don't think any of us want any person to end up in hell. 
To say to somebody that go to hell indicates an ignorance or a callousness or a bitterness or a hatred in the heart of a person that could ever tell someone to go to hell. Because you don't know what you're telling a person to do. You don't know what you're damning a person, uh, what, what, what kind of damnation is involved in that. Eternal separation from God. See, the Bible says that we're all on the way to hell. We're all guilty before God. We all stand before the judge of the universe, and we've got to ask the question, what do I got to do so I don't end up there? And the Bible says in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. We were all guilty before God. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, you know, the same word appearing is the same word that we find in the book of John where it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He appeared before us, and in his life we saw truth, and we saw love. We saw God's plan and his love for mankind in the person and the appearance of Jesus Christ here on this earth. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, you know, when Jesus was born, they said, you shall name him Jesus, what? For he shall save his people from their sins. When John the Baptist saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It says, when, his, when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, it says he saved us, not on the basis of deeds or good works or trying to make ourselves pleasing to God, which we have done in righteousness or thinking that we've done good stuff. He says, but on the contrary... In contrast to that, there's nothing that you and I can do, but in contrast to that, he saved us according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. See, it was by the mercy of God as we stood before the judge of the universe and we say, God, forgive me, I am sorry, I am guilty as charged. Forgive me of my sins. The Bible says at that point, when a person recognizes their guilt before God and they respond in faith, with faith, to the finished work of Christ, I believe that Jesus Christ took my place on the cross, that you love me and sent him to die for me, John 3, 16. I believe that. At the moment that we believe that in our heart, the Bible says that we are then justified by God's grace so we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, so far in our study in Romans, all that we've seen is that we are guilty, we're on the way to hell, there is no recourse in and of ourselves, there's nothing good that any of us can do, there's no hope in us and in us alone, but that God says if you respond in faith and believe what God says in his word, the specific promise that he sent Jesus to die in your place, in my place, for whoever would believe. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, and that's what we're sharing right now. I'm not ashamed of it, for it's the power of God. It's dynamite. It explodes in the soul and the hearts of man, for it's the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. To those who believe. The difference between those who are going to hell and those who ultimately will go to heaven is only one thing, and that is those who believe in Jesus Christ, who recognize their sinners, who respond with faith to the finished work of Christ. It's because of God's grace and his mercy. By his grace, we've been saved through faith. It's faith in the word of God. God promises us if we believe in Jesus Christ, we'll become children of God to those who believe in his name. The Bible promises us that if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature, old things pass away. 
The Bible promises us if we believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. The Bible promises us that if we believe upon Jesus Christ, the day that we're absent from our body is the day that we'll be present with the Lord. The Bible makes promises that are very specific. And God says, if you believe my promises, then I will declare you justified. He doesn't make us justified. He doesn't make us righteous. He declares us at that point in time, look, you are guilty and a price must be paid. Otherwise, we pervert justice. If you've ever seen where someone's guilty and they say, you know what, we're just going to let you go. But the next person, we're not going to let go. I'll give you a great illustration. Some of you know the story of, of the young man that I had been spending some time with who was a, an athlete that played on my son's uh, baseball team who killed his dad. It will be three years ago now in June. You may have seen the article in the paper recently. He was sentenced to 21 years in prison. And, uh, and, 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 and you know what? And that's justice. And I think people need to recognize and understand something, that to do anything other than that would be a perversion of justice. Regardless of all the mitigating circumstances, the reality of it was this. He killed his father. And it has to be a price that, price that must be paid. Otherwise, society suffers as a whole. We cannot continue to go on as a society and people where we allow people to come up with flimsy excuses and not hold them accountable for their actions. And I can say, well, you had a bad day, so, you know, I mean, we all do things when we're having a bad day, so we're not going to hold you accountable for your actions. Do you realize what would happen? See, God doesn't pervert justice. He says you are guilty, and a price must be paid for your guilt. But rather than have you pay it or me pay it, he says, I've sent Jesus Christ into the world, and he will pay it for you. It is not a perversion of justice. It's God's form of justice. And the only thing he asks of us is, do you believe that or not? He says, in a moment in time that you do, you are declared just before God. And so as we look at this, we need to recognize and understand that so far in these four chapters of Romans, all that we've seen up to date is that we are guilty, we're going to hell. If you don't want to go to hell, you need to ask the question. If, and if you don't care whether you go to hell or not, you need to really take a good hard look at what God says is the description of hell. Now, we've minimized it in our culture to where it's just, you know, it, well, it's not heaven, but it's hell, but it's not that big deal. There's not much difference between the two. There is an eternal difference between the two. One place is a place of blissful joy and peace and love and hope and the presence of God and no more suffering and no more sorrow and no more tears. And the other place is a place of extreme agony and suffering. And the very presence of God is absent from it. And if you've ever been in a godless place where you think that even God's not present here, that's just a glimpse and a taste of what eternal hell is all about. It is a place of outer darkness, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of eternal regret for people that have heard the truth of the word of God and rejected the love of God and the free gift of, of salvation through Jesus Christ. They will regret it for all of eternity. It is a place where when you hear the truth that you're hearing today and you continue to choose to reject God and to turn and to walk from him, you will remember that for all of eternity that you had an opportunity to receive that gift and you said no. And the challenge that I have for people is if you don't want anything to do with God in this life, why do you think that, and then I hear ignorant people say, but you know what, everybody's going to heaven. My answer to them is this, I mean, why would you want to go there? You don't want anything to do with God here. Why would you want to spend an eternity with him? Oh, I never thought about that. You're going to hell because you're choosing to reject and rebel against God's plan. You cannot blame God. People say, but you know, I didn't know. Let me tell you something. I have learned this in my life and I see it's true today that God draws people to hear his truth. 
so that people can respond accordingly and will be without excuse before God. I was here, well, what about this person in some other world? What about this person in Africa? What about this person in South America? And you know what I say to you? What about you? Because God has drawn you to hear his truth. If I were you, I wouldn't be too concerned about whether someone in hell is going to Africa as much as I would be concerned that you are. It's just true. See, now we know we need to be saved. And Paul says, in his word of God, says, we can be saved. What must we do to be saved? Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Isn't that great? So now we know that we're lost. We know how to be saved. We have an option, an opportunity to be saved. And for those who have trusted in Christ, this is the turning point in our study in the book of Romans. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. The turning point in Romans 5 is that the question that's addressed is this. Okay, I knew I was lost and guilty. God, I've asked for forgiveness. I've believed in faith that Jesus died for me. According to your word, I become a child of God. I'm a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. I, I am now spiritually alive. The question that I have for God at that point is this. I can look forward to heaven, and that's a wonderful thing, but what am I supposed to do, and what's this all about? What does it mean to be a Christian now here on earth? From the moment that I trust in Christ to the moment that either he calls me home or Jesus returns, what does it mean to be a Christian today? That's why he says in chapter 5, notice, verse 1, we read these words. Therefore... Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction or access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still helpless, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if we were enemies, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. In this passage, we're going to take a look at seven. I'm not sure exactly how many we're going to get through, but we're going to look at a few of them at least today. But we're going to look ultimately at seven benefits of salvation. Seven benefits of our newfound relationship with God that has to do with immediately the things that we can enjoy as we look at this relationship that we have with God. Seven benefits. Number one. The first one is this. In verse one, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. 
Now, as we look at this, we've learned that we've been justified by faith. There's no other way that you and me can be declared righteous apart from faith in Jesus Christ, his death, and ultimately his resurrection from, from the dead. We must believe the very specific promises of God. And we see that over and over again throughout Scripture. But as we look at Romans chapter 5, I want you to notice something, that verb tenses are going to be very important in our study of this section. Notice what he says first of all. Therefore, it's a connective phrase, meaning that therefore everything that we've learned up to date now carries into what he's about to introduce. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Having been justified by faith. Having been indicates a moment in time in our past having been justified in the past. And remember the illustration that he gave us about Abraham. He said that Abraham was declared righteous before God, or it was reckoned unto him as righteousness, or he was justified at a moment in time in his life. Uh, Genesis 15, 6. It was reckoned unto Abraham, or declared righteousness, when? When he believed the very specific promise of God that God would make him a great nation through his own uh, loins, so to speak, his own genealogy, that he would make him a great nation. And at that moment in time, Abraham believed that promise of God, and the Bible says for all of eternity, God wrote it down, and the way I look at it is this, that God wrote down Abraham's name and what we see in the book of Revelation in the book of life. That moment in time, his name was written there. We sing songs like, is your name written there on the page white and fair? You know, it has to do with the Lamb's book of life. That every person who comes to faith, recognizing their sin, responding with faith to Jesus Christ, the moment that we do that, and God knows our heart, whether we're just going through an outward expression or whether we really mean it in our heart, God knows that. And he says at that moment in time, he was declared justified, it was reckoned unto him as righteousness, and God wrote the name Abraham for all of eternity. Now, what's exciting about that is this. We live in a culture today that somehow believing, is somehow led to believe that being a Christian is some type of progressive thing. I want to make something very clear to all of us that are here. Becoming a Christian takes place in a very specific moment in time for all of eternity. When someone says to me, and I ask the question, or have been asked the question, when did you become a Christian? And they say things like, I've always been a Christian. What they're saying is, they are not. You have not always been a Christian. And the reason that that's true is this, because God's Word clearly teaches us that the moment, there's a specific moment of time. For example, if someone said to you, when did you get married? And you said, I've always been married. That may have to do with the quality of the relationship. That may have to do with just how you feel about the relationship. It feels like I've always been married. But the reality of it is that you were married on a very specific moment in time. Having the opportunity to officiate at weddings. And, uh, and be able to sit down with a couple. You know, you get a, a, a marriage license. How many of you are married? Okay. Remember the, the, the marriage license? What did you do with that marriage license? You signed it. Some of you are going, I didn't. I think I found a loophole. <laughs> now listen, you signed it. And you signed it at a very specific moment in time. There was a date. There was a place. There were witnesses who signed it as well. 
And what you did when you signed it was the moment that you signed that you declared for all eternity was the plan. But one thing you can't get away from is that you signed it at that moment in time. Whether you fulfilled your obligation or not doesn't change the fact that, that at that one moment in time, you were officially married. Legally, contractually, binding, you were married. And you signed it. And the people around you, witnessed it, signed it as well. And those who were at the ceremony, whether it was two people or a thousand people, they witnessed it and they saw it. The purpose of me bringing that illustration up is this, that it is just as true for us to sign a wedding license or to sign a loan document or to sign something else that puts us in a position of obligation or commitment. It is equally true of those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. It is not something that we say, well, you know what, when I was a kid, I, you know, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. There's a point in time where you have got to be able to address when did you recognize your guilt before God? When did you realize in your heart that you were guilty and you're on your way to hell? When did you realize that you had to throw yourself upon the mercy of God? When did you then respond in faith and believe what God said, that Jesus Christ died in your place on the cross? That you believe that he died for you? You believe that he rose three days later for you? When did you make that commitment in your heart or decision, God, forgive me, and I believe what you say, that Jesus Christ died for me and rose again from the dead? When did you do that? And if you don't know, then do it now. Because the Bible says, having been justified in a moment in time, past tense, it was a time in our life where that took place. It could be right now in the quietness of your heart, and it's this day and this moment in time for all of eternity. It could be five years, ten years, twenty years, sixty-five years like we saw, whatever it was. At that moment in time, God writes our name in the Lamb's book of life for all of eternity, and he doesn't use whiteout, and it's there forever. Even when we're stupid and do things that we shouldn't be doing, it's still written in there and it's reckoned to us and declared to us as righteousness. We are justified at a moment in time. Sanctification and how we live is something different that we're going to talk about all through the book of Romans. But you've got to address the question, when did that take place in your life? And if you don't know, God loves you to the point where he's telling you right now, then don't delay and don't hesitate. Today is the day of the Lord. Today is the day he wants you to know you're guilty. He wants you to know you're on your way to hell. You're not as good as you think you are. And if you believe that you are, then you're walking away from his revealed truth because his truth tells you you're not. And that he sent Jesus to die for you. And you can respond in faith and say, God, forgive me. I believe what's being said, that Jesus died for my sins. And I invite him into my life. And I give you my life. And I don't know what all this means, but I just trust what you're saying is true. And you know what the Bible says? At that very moment, God meets you right where you are, and none of us around you may even know what's going on. But at that moment in time, he declares you justified. And now the advantage of that is what? The benefit of that is that now we have peace with God. You need to understand something. Until you believe and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, recognize your guilt before God, you are at enmity, the Bible says, with God. And to understand the history of it, you've got to go back to the beginning when God created man and he created Adam and Eve and he told Adam of all the fruit in the garden you can enjoy, but of the one fruit you can't have, the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't partake of that. It goes back to, but God says, don't do that. And man says, then I'm going to do it. 
And the moment that man sinned and sin entered the world, every one of us have, from that day forward, have turned our back on God. And because we have, quote, sinned before God, God turns his back on man because God cannot look at sin. God at that moment declared war on sin. We're always declaring war on something. We've got a war on poverty. We've got a war on drugs. We've got a war on AIDS. We've got a war on this disease and that disease. We got a war, we got, we're declaring war all the time. We've got a war on illiteracy. We're always declaring war. Well, let me tell you something. God declared war on sin, and his plan, even before he declared war from the foundation of the world, was to come up with a way to reconcile man back to God. He declared war on sin. He was the one offended. Let me tell you something. You and I can't make peace with God. I talk to people that are sick or that are dying or whatever and even, even challenge people. Look, you know what? You know, they say, get your affairs in order. Get your house in order. And we hear things like, you need to make peace with your maker. You can't make peace with God. I can't make peace with God. Why? Because I'm the one who offended him. Have you ever offended another human being? You ever go to try to make peace with them? There's only one person that, the, that can declare peace. And that's the one who was offended. See, when we go to God and we say, God, I'm sorry I have sinned. I am sorry that I sent Jesus Christ to the cross. And I believe what you say and I believe him and I trust in him and I, and I give my life to him and I invite him into my life. You know, the moment that you do that, listen to me. It's God who was offended who then tells you on an individual basis or me who trust in Christ, you know what? Everything's okay now. Have you ever gone to someone and say, hey, are we okay? Is, is it all good? You know, you know what you're saying. That's like, the, the, hey, is, is, are things good? You know, everything okay between me and you? Things good now? Only the person offended can say, you know what? Yeah, everything's okay. All things are good. When you trust in Christ, you know what God is saying to you and me as individuals? Chuck, I just want to tell you something. All things are good now. All things are good. Between you and me, all things are good. Because you've done it my way, all things are good. We have peace with God. What a wonderful thing that is. What a wonderful truth that that is. That we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The second benefit is that we now have access to God. We have access to God. Isn't that a wonderful truth? He says that through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and exalt in hope of the glory of God. Our peace with God us access to God, to the very throne room of God. In order to understand how incredible this is, you've got to go back to the story that I just told a second ago, <clears throat> that Adam and Eve, <clears throat> excuse me, walked with God. When they sinned and God turned his back on sin, they were banned from the garden, the very presence of God. They no longer had access to God as they once had. Our purpose in creation by God is to enjoy his fellowship, but more importantly, to exalt him, to bring him glory, to bring him praise. That's our whole purpose in creation, to praise the one who created us, to give him thanks and worship and glory and praise and honor and all that was due, and we would enjoy fellowship with him. Adam and Eve, Adam walked in the garden with God, but when he sinned, guess what? He hid from God, and as he hid from God, he heard him walking in the garden, and, and God said, Adam, where are you? And he said, uh, I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I know what I did was wrong, just as every one of our kids at some point in their life when they did something wrong hid. 
just as some of us, even as adults, are trying to hide from what we've done. Sin nature hides, try to hide, but you know what? God didn't have a problem finding them. But their fellowship was broken. You know what, you know what um, spiritual death is? It's a separation from the presence of God. It's to be separated from the access to God. Now, follow this carefully. You're asking, what does this have to do with my new relationship with God through faith in Christ? It has everything to do with it. Because now you and I have access to God. We're no longer shut out. We are invited into his very presence. The Bible says through Jesus Christ we can boldly approach the throne of grace and ask for help in our time of need. Do you realize that? That you now have access to the very presence of God because of your relationship with Christ? The door is wide open for you? See, the Jews couldn't have access to God. They had to go through a priest. And then they had to go through a high priest. And there was a formality of how to get access to God. Individual people never had access to God. In fact, Gentiles, if they went to the temple, there was a sign that says, you go past this point, you're going to be killed. You don't have access to God. And so a whole system, religious systems, have been built around people having to go through God through another person. But the Bible says this, there's only now one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't have to go through another human being. We don't have to go through an earthly priest. We don't have to go through a pastor or a minister. We don't have to go through anybody else. For those who have faith in Jesus Christ, we have direct access to the very throne room of God through Jesus Christ. He's the one that allows us access to the presence of God. Do you realize the moment you were justified in time that the benefit came that now you have access with God it has been restored that you haven't had all your life? I hear people say, well, Chuck, does God hear the prayers of non-believers? And I say this very clearly, so in case you've ever wondered, no. He doesn't. Because they don't have access to Him. The only prayer that God hears of an unbeliever is the prayer of repentance in a broken heart. A prayer of throwing himself on the mercy of God. A prayer that says, God, forgive me for I am a sinner and I believe what you say that I need Jesus Christ and I believe in his death and his resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. God doesn't hear the prayer of a non-believer because non-believers don't have access to him. Jesus said, before now, you have asked for nothing in my name, but now you may ask and receive that your joy may be made full. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, the veil was torn. The veil was torn from the top to the bottom when Jesus died. As if God himself tore the veil from the top to the bottom so that we would now have access through Jesus to the presence of God. Read in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10 on your own sometime and see the truth of the word of God that you and I have access to God. Now, the reason I bring that up is because many of us don't enjoy that access to God. That's a very present reality of our new relationship with God. I have access to God. I can go to him. You know, it was interesting, a few years ago, I was given, uh, when I was, now that I'm working with the angels, I was given a media pass. Was, this is the fourth season, so three years ago, I was given a media pass. And, uh, and the media pass uh, gives me access to places that, frankly, you can't get to. Um, and I don't mean that in a na-na-na way, I'm just meaning it in an like, illustrative way. Um, <laughs> but, but it gives me access to places that I couldn't go to either. The point I'm trying to make is this, so I got this pass. And I have access. I can go in the locker room. And uh, what was interesting about it is I had this pass for a year before I realized there were a whole bunch of other places I could go. <laughs> it was great. I'd be like standing outside, you know, and, and, and you know, I'd just be waiting right there, and the guy would be like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just waiting for one of the guys to come out. And he looked at my pass. He goes, well, why don't you just go in and get him? <laughs> I went, really? He goes, yeah, you, you got that pass. You can go. He goes, have you ever read the pass? Well, yeah, you know, but, you know, I just, uh, 
They're like, wow, look at this pass. Admits the bearer of this pass to the press box, to the field, you know, the field, to the clubhouse, to the photo location, and the best part, the press dining room. But I could, I could, I could, and I was like, man. And then, you know what? The amazing thing is that God said, Chuck, you have access to me. Why are you standing outside the door? Why aren't you taking advantage of that? I have access to God through faith in Christ 24 hours a day, seven days a week, anything I want to talk to him about, anything I want to bring before him, any request that I have, and it doesn't mean I can go and tell him what I want, but at least it means that he'll give me an audience and he'll listen to what I have to say. Do you realize as believers that we have access to God and what a responsibility that is to pray for our family and our friends? That we have access to God and they don't? And so we're the ones that have to go before God and say, God, you know what, can you do me a favor? Can you make sure the person who's speaking clearly tells the person I'm inviting about Jesus? Can you make sure the person I invited, can you move in their heart that they will come? Can you, can you do that? Let me tell you something about God. God loves people more than you and I ever could. God wants people to hear the truth more than you and I could ever imagine because God went to great lengths to make sure that we have access to it. And the sad reality of it is this, that you and I were like waiting for some big occasion because we don't want to bother God and we're just saving it for the big things as if God is limited as to how many things he wants to hear from us. Just get this settled once and for all. The biggest thing that you have in your life, how big is it compared to our God? You're waiting and saving for the big thing? He wants to hear, what, hear from us about everything. We can go to him and talk to him. We have a personal relationship with him. We can just dial God anytime that we want. It's, it's better than any human relationship that we have because sometimes when we want to talk to one another, we call and we get voicemail. You know, or, or, or we get, you know, or we get, you know, the answering machine. Or we email and we wait for a response. But we got a personal relationship with the God of the universe that we can talk to right here and right now in the prayer of those who are here today that say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner, and I invite Jesus Christ into my life. God hears that immediately, and he responds to that. Yesterday, I was sitting in traffic in downtown L.A., and I talked to God a lot. <laughs> we had a lot of time together. When I go out for a run, I talk to him. And you've got to realize and understand something, that through his spirit that he gives every believer, and through the very written word of God, he responds to. Not that big voice out of heaven, what would you like, Chuck? But that still quiet voice that he gives us, the spirit of God, who begins to communicate with us as we listen to him. We've got access to God. I mean, how wonderful is that? Yesterday I went to visit someone in the hospital. I, I, I called and they said, who are you? And I gave my name and they said, we're sorry, you can't have access. Your name's not on the list. And the gal goes, and I said, and I said well, but I'm, I'm the team chaplain. And she goes, okay, but I might get killed for this, but come on in. And I said, well, if they kill you, I'll do your memorial service for free. 
and she laughed, you know. But, but what was interesting about it is, then when I got in there, she put my name on the list. And now, you know what? I haven't taken advantage of that, but I have access to that area of the hospital. I can go visit that person. I could have gone any time after she wrote my name down. I can go again today. I can continue to go until he comes out of the hospital or whatever. But guess what? It was written at a moment in time. Now do you see the clarity of what God is trying to help us understand? That our name is written down in a moment in time in the Lamb's book of life for all of eternity. And from that moment that our name is written there, we now enjoy certain benefits in our relationship with God. Whether we take advantage of them or not, they are still there. Use them. Don't stand there like an idiot like me and go, I didn't know I could go in that room. Well, you are really stupid. It's like I'm, I'm sitting there going, they're looking at me like, how did you get that position? You can't even read a, a card. And then they start praying for the guys. This is the guy. Let's pray for the team. Third, and we'll quit on this one. We have a glorious hope. A glorious hope. You know what that means? We exalt in hope of the glory of God. What is the blessed hope of every believer? The return of Jesus Christ. He is our blessed hope. That's what we look for. That's who we long for. That's who we cannot wait to see again. Even though we have never seen him personally, we can't wait to see him as he returns. That is the blessed hope of every believer, is to look for that day when Jesus Christ comes. And I'm going to talk about this next time, but that's this. Realize this. He's our glorious hope. Think about it. Peace with God is what? In the past, in a moment of time. We've been justified by faith. We've been declared just before God in a moment of time. Past tense. Done. Sealed. Forever. Then the second thing you look at is we now have access to God, which has to do with today. Today, we have access to God. Whether we take advantage of it or not, we have access to the very throne of God. Now he says, we glory in the hope, which has to do with the future. We're taken care of in the past. We have access today in the present. We look forward to Jesus' return in the future. He's got it covered, past, present, and future. Also notice this. There are certain benefits of our relationship with God today in the present that we will not enjoy until the future. And we're going to see that in a moment, but I'll give you a good illustration of that. I know guys who sign contracts. Well, I'm in the construction industry, my, my business partner and I, and we sign contracts. We have a contract that we signed a, a couple weeks ago that the job's not going to take place until probably the last quarter of this year. So we didn't immediately enjoy any benefit other than the fact we know that we've got that job, there's a commitment to do it, we can begin to plan and organize and look forward to it as we do for all of the backlog that we have, but we don't enjoy any real tangible benefits or other benefits until we actually start to do the work, we start to bill for the work, and then we start to get income from that job. So that's something that happens in the future, but it was taken care of in a moment of time. Again, sign that contract for future benefit. Now, there are certain things as Christians that we can look forward to and have hope in the future, and the great hope or the blessed hope of every believer is that we can look forward to the day that Jesus Christ comes back. And if he chooses to call us home before then, then we can glory in the hope of sharing in the glory of God and the very presence of God. When we are absent from our body, we're present with the Lord, and we hope in that future glory. We're going to see him glorified before our very eyes. And we will glory with him. 
What a wonderful truth that is. We don't realize it necessarily now, but we will one day in the future. See, and that's why when you look at that and begin to understand that, hey, you know what, as we look to the future, guess what we realize? That we have hope in the present. We know how it all turns out. We know what to look forward to. That's an exciting reality. We can look forward to the hope of the glory of Jesus Christ. And you know what? And that's one of the strongest scriptural arguments why God's people will not go through the great tribulation. And we're going to talk about that more next time. But for today, I want to make sure, because I can't think of a better gift to offer anyone who's listening than the gift that was offered to me and the gift that is offered to you. And the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no better gift to receive than a gift that you don't have to pay for and a gift that comes with no strings attached, but one that is just offered to you and all you need to do is receive that gift and then you know what? And then say thank you. That's as simple as the gospel is. And that's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed to share that with anybody because you know what? It's the power of God. Men and women who respond in faith recognizing they're guilty. In fact, let's just close in prayer. If you're here and you, and you want to get that relationship resolved once and for all, then just pray the simple prayer. Because God knows the desire of your heart. God, forgive me. I realize I'm not perfect. I realize that I do fall short. I realize that there are things in my life that I'm ashamed of. and when I, There are things that I've done that I know that I shouldn't have done and I did them anyway. God, in your word, calls that sin. And so therefore, I'm a sinner. And Father, I'm sorry for that. And I ask you to forgive me. And I believe what you say, that you love me and you sent Jesus Christ to die on, on, on the cross in my place. That if I believe upon him, his death, and that three days later you raised him from the dead, indicating that he is the one through whom we have forgiveness of sin. He is the one who can give us eternal life. Lord, I just invite Jesus Christ to come into my life now. Father, I don't understand all of it, but I know you're leading me in that direction. And so in obedience, I want to do that. And Father, I just thank you today for the truth of your word. And I thank you that at that moment in time that you knew my heart and that you wrote my name down in your book of life for all of eternity. And there's nothing that will ever remove that from that book. God, we just thank you. Father, I thank you and I praise you for what you've done. I look forward to what you're going to do. And I just thank you that now I have access to your very presence. That I can come to you anytime that I want with any problem that I have. And there's nothing too big and nothing too little for the God of the universe who created all things. And I thank you that you hear my prayers. And I thank you that you care about me in every area of my life. And I just thank you that you have declared peace with me through Jesus Christ, my new Lord. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your loving faithfulness and kindness. Even when we're faithless, you say you're faithful. Father, we just thank you for all that you have here and that we'll listen even to tapes as they're given them to them. That you, have a, 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 you, that you seek, actively seek and save that which was lost. That you love people and you go to the ends of the earth to make sure that your gospel is proclaimed. God, we just love you and we thank you for it. And we never want to take that for granted. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.